if I don't have that number and the world tells me, well, the Joneses next door got a new boat, that means I need more so I can have the boat. The world's telling me what I need to do or I need more because they're going to give me new advertising. That I have to buy new stuff. I need a bigger house. That's more, more, more. I'm letting the world give me my purpose. When the world gives me my purpose, I can't feel fulfilled because I can't make progress to more. Right? I can never close the gap to more. But when I have a set objective or set desired end state, I can measure where I am to where, where that is, and I can feel fulfilled when I make progress. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. When last we heard, Larry Yatch had committed to picking up trash from the beach with his sons and his wife, but we can't take their buy-in for granted. In this episode, we'll hear Larry's trademark leadership training and his passion to help others find and act on their purpose. We'll also see another side of Larry, trying to figure out the emotional interaction. What happened with his wife? You'll hear it when it happens. Sharing what he's learning with, with her, leading up to this conversation, but also in this conversation itself, searching within himself to figure out what's going on. I appreciate that openness and that vulnerability, especially from a warrior. So you'll hear it when it comes. For you listeners, I know for most of us, environmental talk and action conjures up feelings of guilt and shame for many of us, or expectations that people try to make us feel that way, or that it's about improving the world, making the world a better place, or something abstract like that. I'm trying to convey in this podcast, in in all my work, that you'll make your life better. You'll like the results. You'll feel better about yourself. In this episode, you will hear a Navy SEAL improving his relationship with his sons, with his wife, and with himself. And I hope that you ask yourself and answer, what are you holding yourself back from to the extent that you're not working to the extent that you can on your environmental values? So let's listen to Larry and Ann. I started recording, so I just got that, but I'm going to say welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spoda. I'm here with Larry Yatch, who you've all heard before, and Ann Yatch, who I don't think you, I've talked to you before, but they haven't. So his wife, and she was just talking about the task, the challenge that Larry gave himself, but also to his family. And so, Ann, you have to run, but I wonder if you could say again, actually, Larry, could you say what you took on, how they felt about it, because they weren't on before, and then maybe Ann can share before she leaves. Yeah, so the the challenge was what something that I could do uh, to help better the environment. I don't. I'm not using the exact words that you use, but that well, was. The I, I try to focus on what what people can do to act on what they care about, which may or may not be what other people care about, but it's what they care about. And this seemed to have resonated with you because you go to the beach with your sons, and they pick stuff up. And so we, uh, we were in Utah when, because we move about, but we were in Utah when we first had the conversation where we were heading down here to South Florida for, for this season. And 
so the challenge that we put I put out was that when we went down to the beach to uh, pick up trash with the boys. And so that was the challenge. Yeah. And before it was just them picking stuff up and then presumably you guys joined them. I don't know what's happened. I know that you guys have had plenty of adventures since then. And I've heard you on our mutual friends, Dan McPherson's podcast and on Dan Zaner's podcast, who's, who put us in touch. And so I'll put links to them so that people can hear Larry there as well. You love helping people learn leadership. If I'm, I mean, it feels like it infuses everything you do. I, that's what I, that's what I read. And yeah, it's, uh, it's not so much teaching leadership. It's about on a more fundamental level for me, uh, implementing and enabling permanent and positive change in people's lives. And so then when I look at that as if that's my purpose, how can I implement or enable the largest change in someone's life? And what I've come to believe is that our ability to coordinate action with others has the biggest impact on our lives. And so the just being a hyper analytical person, if I want to have the biggest change, be an, an agent for the biggest change in people's lives, the way that I can implement the best change is to help them optimize the coordination of action with others, which if you put that in one word is leadership. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I get to the passion that I have for teaching leadership isn't about the touch of the passion of teaching leadership. It isn't even about the passion of helping others coordinate action better with others, which is what leadership is. It's more about being able to be a, the biggest agent for change in their lives. And so that's the fundamental piece to it for me. Okay. And I also read that this is as tight a teamwork operation between the two of you as anyone will find. I know that I, I think you told me to, and I forget if it was recorded or not. And I think I heard it on one of your podcasts about how when you were injured and could not be a SEAL anymore, then is it safe to say that she, I don't want to say she saved your life, but she, and gave you purpose or found purpose for you. I say she saved my life because of a combination of two things. One a person without purpose is doomed to lack of fulfillment, sadness, not good coordination of action with others, right? Purpose is what binds us to coordinate action in the first place. And so a lack of purpose is going to lead to a very negative experience of life. And on top of that, through some really bad doctoring in the Navy, they screwed up my neurochemistry so bad with the drugs that they'd given me that I had massive negative results after uh, this, just the surgery based on all of the drug fallout, mm-hmm. that if it wasn't for her giving me a new purpose and having me be able to direct my attention towards something, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to think where I would have gone based on both the lo- loss of my team, uh, which was the SEALs, and the the physical, mental, and emotional damage that was caused to me in the effort of being a SEAL, right? Through going through all that. So uh, yeah, I I believe that she saved my life for sure. What was it like, if you don't mind me asking, and what was it from your perspective, the same uh, period of his life, both of your lives? You know, I remember in that moment, just the look on his face when the surgeon came in and said, you're never going to be a SEAL anymore. And I knew his story, you know, because I was so close to him. I knew that since seven, that's all he had ever wanted to do. There was nothing else. And so 
I remember thinking, if I don't say something right now in this moment that he connects to, I could literally lose him like on all levels. And so that's where I just looked and I'm like, listen, what makes you amazing to me is not anything to do with your physicality or you know, the great things you're able to do as a seal. I'm like, the only thing that matters to me is what's in your head, how you think, how you think differently from other people. And if you can bring that amazing knowledge to individuals, so they don't have to suffer as much or they don't have to worry as much. I'm like, that would be a great way to impact others' lives. So that's where... Yeah, that was the start. So from that yeah. point on, everything we've done has always been in training of some sort, right? In influencing the behavior of our clients, you know, transforming them from where they were to where they get to be. And, and we've just completely spanned the spectrum in different ways to do that, right? It hasn't just been in leadership. We've had to be honest, a lot we, of different We had to figure to this out it. for yeah. him, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, it was a, like a life-saving um, mission to make sure that we could save his life, make sure he had purpose. And everything we sought out to do or learned or trained up in or created was how can we use these tools to make our lives better? And, oh, great, this one worked. Well, let's use this one. Can we help other people use it? Yes, let's do that. So it's been quite the experience, that's for sure. Yeah, and it'd be interesting too, because I wanted to share this with you anyway. We've been at this entrepreneurial endeavor since 2007. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a long time. I mean, we're coming up on 13 years, which on one hand, I'm really proud of because most companies don't last a year very few last five years, even less last 10, and we're on 13. And right? we're still together as a couple. Which yeah. I have to say. Stronger than ever. A if lot I read right. Oh, we for sure. Yeah, stronger than we were. Yeah, and that's not easy, right? It has not been easy. Uh, one on the business side, two on the relationship side. And what I wanted to share with anyone that's listening is it's taken me up until now. Like we just, as I was sharing or before the call, we just ran a, a really special event for some of our clients. And it's the first time after 13 years of trying that I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. Like I'm finally where I, I want to be in what I'm doing on a regular basis with our clients. And, and I got to watch him finally for the first time step into that fully and I was like, this was always my vision for you in that yeah. first conversation that we had. This is exactly where I knew you would end up, but it took us forever to get here. And so that's the point. Like we've, yes, we've run successful businesses. What would people would look at and say we're successful for 13 years, but it's taken 13 years for us to really get, for me to get to a point of saying, ah, not only do we have a successful business where we are generating money, we are supporting people and creating good change in their lives. And the last piece is, I'm doing what I want to do, right? Because it's it's easy to have a job or to work at something that is you're working at it, but you have to work at it in order to produce right. the safety and security. And so it's been quite quite the journey. I'm reading what you're describing as mastery. You've mastered a, a craft that at first you were good at it, but you're I mean you brought in a lot of things that you had mastered before. But this is in this is new territory. The seals were. I wasn't there, but from what I, what you said, it was your people. It was like, these are people who are like you and you could be yourself. And so there's a new challenge in going out in the rest of the world. I heard you say that and I was like, I don't know if I've ever felt that way because I'm weird. Oh, and- that's why we get along so well. <laughs> and so I was like, has there been a group that has been really weird that I've felt really natural with? Like sometimes in physics, I felt that way, but not really. I mean, I was definitely weird. There's definitely, I really 
could connect with physicists in a way that I can't connect with anyone else. And this, the way we spoke, playing ultimate, there were times when I felt that way, but I, it didn't read as deep as, as what you described. So I was able to be fortunate enough to be a type and identify an organization that was like that, right? With the SEALs. That was very unique. And that the SEALs have, were already there. And I was already, uh, I had experienced the things that I experienced in my life to develop me in a way that fit really well with that piece. And notice that I, you know, the experience in my life led me to that, as well as my own intent and training and development. Since that, then for 12 years, 13 years, I, we haven't had that. And that's part of where a big shift for us is now, how do we create a business that enables us to service people that want, that provide that for us? So we've had to create that community now, whereas I got to join it with the SEALs. And now I know that Anne has to leave in a little bit. So I want to ask, did this teamwork play out of you two with the picking up garbage? How did it go? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, it was a combination of a couple of factors, to be honest, Josh. So you had given Larry this challenge. Larry had talked to me about it. And then a very good friend of mine who is putting together this incredible documentary on turtles, A Turtle's Tale, which is all about how turtles are impacted by the debris that's left in the ocean, plastic specifically. I went and I saw that. And then I was like on a mission afterwards. I'm like, this has got to happen this weekend. So I, I went down with the boys and we literally walked the entire beach up and down, picked up all the tiny little plastic. And then I know this sounds like a really small thing, but it matters to us. You know, those little things that are on bread when you get bread that keeps yeah. bread all wrapped up. So we take all of those and we save them. And then we cut them all up into like the smallest pieces possible so that turtles won't choke on them. Mm -hmm. Even though I know that's not like necessarily the best option, the boys really loved doing it. It makes them feel like they're contributing. And then we're also, you know, obviously doing some more recycling now that we have. Yeah, and our turtle, like what's neat about where we live is it's one of the breeding grounds for, for loggerhead turtles. So when we first get here in the spring, there's all these little, they put construct like posts and tape around all the nests. And when we got here, it was amazing. The nests were all up and down the beach, but the beach that they're, they've been doing this on is it, it's, it actually does impact the turtles because the turtles are always, when I go free dive off, off the coast and the reefs here, I see a turtle at least every other time there's a turtle hanging out on the reef. So their impact is real on the turtles. It isn't like we could even, because the boys know those are turtle nests. Like the baby turtles are going to come out of those nests. So they're always running up and down the beach going, do you think this would choke a baby turtle? Let's take it. I'm like, okay. So it's, it's really cute to see them get as passionate about it as you know I felt once I finished watching that documentary. So it's been great. Yeah, you mentioned mostly what you described was like what I would call the play-by-play -play of what you did. At the end, you said the passion. What were the emotions? I mean, were there were you connecting more with your boys? Was it connecting more with nature? Or how did it feel? What were the emotions behind it? I think I was definitely more connected with the boys. They were more connected with me. We made it like our mission, which was really cute. And I think for me, it just felt like, ah, we did something good. We helped. You know, everybody always says that small things, you know, do they really matter? Do they not? And I used to say that too. And literally after that, literally an hour experience, kids and I were like, yep, we're going to do this every weekend. And we do almost every single time we're out there. We always bring trash bags down to collect stuff. So for me, that made me feel like, wow, how inspiring that they see their mom doing something with them. They see their dad doing something with them. They're excited to do it. And then, you know, actually a couple of times we saw other people on the beach and I had an extra 
trash bag. And a lady asked me, do you have an extra one? So then she started picking up trash. So you start seeing that there is quite a ripple effect when you go after something with passion and excitement. And you know, you have little munchkins to help you out with that. It was great. I loved it. You captured something that is a lot of people come to me and they say, Josh, you're one person out of billions. You know, you cannot fly. All you're doing is depriving yourself of the Eiffel Tower. It's not going to make a difference. But, you know, first of all, what I do myself is, is not necessarily to influence others. I, you know, I don't steal, not because I think it's going to stop other people from stealing. I just don't steal because I don't want to hurt people. And to me, it's a matter of integrity, just doing what I think is right. But also, if you expect to influence others, it's hard to do that if you don't yourself do what you are suggesting that they do. Very true. The big thing, though, that comes when, when you do it is, that, is what you described, which is that people like it. It's like, to me, it's not like you have to do it. It's like, to me, picking up garbage, asking me if, Josh, do you want to pick up a piece of garbage every day? It's like asking me, like, do you want to do push-ups every day? Yeah, or burpees, I guess I should say. Of course. Like, why would I not? It's not punishment. It's the opposite. Punishment would be like, give me a Twinkie. Right. And it's somehow we've switched it in America or the world. That's true. Yeah, I, I think the key thing too for me was I didn't realize there was so much emotion that wasn't being accessed, mm-hmm. right? So that was important for me to observe because you know you think about these things and you don't necessarily tie emotion to them or I hadn't tied a lot of emotion to them. And then once you are part of what you believe to be the solution in some way, there's much more emotion there because you're part of something bigger and you feel like you're contributing you know, even though it was just the three of us, we saw actively other people stop to pick stuff up because they saw us doing it. So they're like, ah, what if one person did this? What if three people did this? You know, and you start thinking about the ripple effect. So that's where all the emotion came through for me. The other interesting thing is the, I didn't get to see the the turtle documentary. I didn't see it. And, uh, her purpose and passion, purpose first, I think. And then passion came with the purpose for doing this was 10 times mine. Like I did it because she told me, hey, you said, told Josh you were going to do this. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll pick up the garbage. Like it really was, I didn't have any, I did not have that emotional connection connection to it. And therefore the, the passion to get it done wasn't there either. Did it change? I take it. It changed when you saw hers. No, not really. No, not really. And which makes Larry sense. It's hard to motivate in different ways. Well, yeah, I don't have, you know, one of my things that I've been actively working on is in order to effectively be a SEAL, at least for my story. And I've found this to be similar with others. So I can't speak to all, but I can speak to mine and my experience with others is that uh, emotional and physical connection was detrimental to your ability to be a SEAL. The more emotionally and physically connected you were, the less likely you were to get through training because to you your had, teammates, to your to, to I mean, because you're it's structural. I, it's more structural. Let me say systemic than specific. So you're either and I've come to see this to be true because I've now I've been journeying on the other side of this uh, of being more and more connected emotionally and physically. So let's start with physical because it's easy. Physical connection is being able, listening to your body, right? It's telling me to stop, you know, my leg is hurt. It's, and that becomes even neurological where, you know, an injury will create trauma pathways in the brain that turn off muscle groups. I mean, all of these things are systemic. If you are really in tune with your body, they're going to put you in so much pain and so much damage where you're actually, you know, you're doing 
permanent damage to your body in hell week, right? When you're in that training, like there's, I still have problems with my hypothalamus in regulating temperature because of the extremes that they put me through. So if you feel that and are connected to those physical sensations, you're going to quit. Whereas anyone that makes it through training that I've seen has the ability to just disconnect where I, I don't feel what my body tells me anymore. I, it just, I run it like a car. And so that's a physical connection, emotional connection that I've found to be the same thing. You either are emotionally connected and an emotionally fluent or you're not emotionally connected and emotionally fluent. And if you look at emotions like crayons in a crayon box, the more emotionally connected you are and the more emotionally fluent you are, the more colors, right? Anne has a crayon box of 128, right? right? The big one with a sharpener in it. I had three that you got at the restaurant, (laughs) red, blue, and yellow, right? Yeah, mastery brings nuance. It brings subtlety. And the ability to distinguish. That's why I love the word distinction, right? To distinguish or make something distinct from something else, right? I think of two, like I even have a tired time with colors, mauve. And what color is mauve anyway? It's like like a purpley brown. Purpley brown and sage, right? Which is a similarly brown color. Yeah, there's two browns. For me, they'd both be brown, Mm -hmm. right? So to make those two colors distinct, you have to have the ability to even sense that they're two different colors. So when it comes to emotional connection, the more emotionally connected you are, the more colors you have to describe your emotions, the more crayons you have in your box, which gives you the ability to see those emotions in someone else. If I only have three colors, I could never sense frustrated excitement right? It's either frustration or excitement yeah, or been, it's anger. This has been playing out for me with, uh, when I see garbage, when I pick up garbage off the street, it goes to the, it doesn't go to the dirt part of my brain. It goes to the clean part of my brain because I'm cleaning the world. And so even though others would say you're getting dirty. And so when someone hands me, if someone hands me a bottle of water, I feel disgust. Yeah. It's a plastic bottle. I'm with you on that. Yeah. One. Now, I've been, there's another emotion that's kind of similar to it. That is what happens if you see a leech on you? It's, it's not disgust. It's kind of repulsion and revulsion. And I haven't gotten a name for it. Like what happens when there's a parasite on you? Cause that's also a way that I feel about some, like someone just burning fossil fuels absolutely needlessly, which happens a lot. Like they're idling their car and no, no one's in it. And yeah, my, my journey of, of what would I say? Awareness of, different emotions and how they feel and how they make me behave or how, and how to react to them. And that began in business school, I guess, 2005, 2006. And I'm still getting, getting the hang of it. Oh yeah. And it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were saying emotional connection with your teammate versus, you know, when you're out, you were asking around that clarity. And what I was, what I've found is that there just was very limited Right, because the color, the crayons that I have for the emotional, the emotions were very small, and the fact that I I put them in a box. So the other key aspect is just like I could physically disassociate, right, where my body's saying stop and my brain says no, you're going to keep going. The same thing emotionally, like I have my only my three crayons, but I had to put them in a box, right, and they got locked up in a corner, and I didn't get to feel angry or sad or scared. Because if I did, it would impact my ability to to make decisions and do my job. So even though I may have 
had the color for anger and fear and frustration, those, those colors got locked in the cabinet and weren't allowed to be taken out where it had to. And in order to do that, you have to disconnect, you have to not listen to it. And so huge disconnection, huge emotional disconnection has led to worked really well in that environment as a seal doesn't work well now as I have a family that cares for me and I'm not in an environment of danger all the time, but I'm still now unlocking the box and taking out my three crayons. And now I'm turning them into like, I think I have a box of eight now instead of (laughs) three. And so where this comes into play around going down to pick up trash with me and the kiddos was we were emotionally connected to each other in that experience we knew the purpose behind why we were doing it. They were using periwinkle blue. I didn't have it. I don't have have that one in my box. So So even when we came back, like with all this periwinkle blue excitement all over the place, he was like, I don't really comprehend what you're doing right now because that emotion is not in my box. Right. So she, when we were down there, I've got dark blue, which is obligation. So Mm -hmm. she pulled out dark blue. You made a promise to Josh, you were going to do this. You do this now. I'm like, okay, fine. So I do it because I didn't have the periwinkle blue around excitement for the turtles and and passion to do this and and connection with the kids right so she had to use a different crayon for me and so when you said like that was interesting when you asked like did you get excited did you get periwinkle blue after seeing it no i i didn't honestly i did i'm like no not really i'm still well so maybe i'm i'm turning my dark blue of obligation is starting to get a little bit lighter Uh as i'm starting to learn like this conversation just helped me That, that changed the color a little bit. Maybe I'm gaining a light blue color. So I, I want to distinguish one thing. We'd have to go listen to the recording and it hasn't, I haven't posted the second one yet, but I, I believe that I invited Larry to come up with something and he came up with it as opposed to me assigning it to him. I believe that's what happened as well. So he may have, he may have promised to do it, but I, I didn't assign it. I mean, sometimes I mess up. So to me, you, you gave me an opportunity mm-hmm. and then I made a commitment and I look at that, I hold commitments very and responsibility very strongly. So you created an opportunity for me to hold an obligation. Okay. So the obligation is to yourself then, not to me. I think I was there. A, you, yeah. For me, it was to you because I wouldn't have chose that obligation were it not for you. So I'm going to let you guys continue. Okay. Awesome discussion because I have got to run, but I have loved every minute of it. And I will continue dousing you both with periwinkle blue. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Anne. And uh, let the record show that uh, the Navy SEAL is awakening to emotional awareness and emotional skills through environmental action, through, well, family connection, through your, your wife, your sons. You didn't do the turtle stuff, but it's kind of filtered to you. I no, just now, even now, like that, that was beneficial that, so that result and that conversation wouldn't have happened had it not been for the same thing. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of areas that people work on to improve themselves, fitness, mindfulness, you know, social skills and relationships, education. The environment is one of these areas and most neglected by many people as evidenced by our environment. Yeah. And it's also one of the ones where I think the potential for growth and gain is as great as any other. I agree. And I, I think that what you just said, I think is structural in nature and that it depends on our mindset with what mindset you bring to anything is going to determine your ability to grow out of it. So that's, you know, for me, I love uh, high risk 
adventurous activities, like love it. And I bring full attention and focus for development in those activities. So what someone could look at as just merely surviving, I look at as one of the richest opportunities for growth, physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically. And so I believe that the potential for growth depends not on the environment or the opportunity, but, but on the mindset that the user brings to it. I'm going to say augmented to that, I, I believe, yep. is that the environment has a richness to it and a connection that, I mean, it's got so much to it. All, all, the, all senses get activated. It's, it's the air that we breathe and so forth. And every nuance and richness is there. And so the potential for meaning and purpose is, is very high, as high as anywhere. I love living in Manhattan. Uh, there's so much here. There's museums and the cultural institutions and so many people and diversity and so forth. A small walk in a forest like puts it to shame. It's yeah. and or along the beach, and I feel like we've missed out on that. It, it, just what I said about the Twinkies being the being like punishment. It's yes, it's sweet. There's no denying that there's a pleasure. At least for me, it, there is a pleasure to eating it. It's like I still remember the first Twinkie I ever had because we didn't have them in the house growing up. So I was at some friend's house, and there's this box of Twinkies, and there's like the cellophane that you can kind of squeeze it through the through it. And when you open it, there's like a, what I would now identify as like a greasy over-sweetness, cloying sweetness. But as a kid, you're like, ah, can't wait. And your, your incisors like pierce the, um, I don't know what you call it. It's not bread. Yeah, I think of it as foam. <laughs> yeah, the weird, the brown kind of foam. Cake. And then it goes through and then you get the coolness of the, it would be cream, C-R-E-M-E, because I doubt there's any dairy in there. Yeah. And as a kid, it's like, a burst of joy in your mouth that now I'd be like, as we're speaking now, my CSA, I have these, um, this is a quince. It looks like an apple or a pear. Yep. And I can't, oh, well, you're in Florida. So I, okay. You guys are going to have really great fruit there, but this is like grows up here in almost winter time. And it, it smells so good. And the complexity of flavors or smells, I mean, it's, there's nothing that compete. Like candy wishes it was like that. They try to get the esters and chemicals to match that. Except if you've eaten a lot of Twinkies, this will taste boring. Yeah. And this is like writ large of like, we've been eating so many Doritos that broccoli doesn't taste good anymore. If we take long enough to pick up enough garbage from the beach and like, or eat enough broccoli and let go of the other stuff for a little while, it's really... This is me just waxing philosophical, but it's like there's so much more richness out there and there's no end to it. it it's just the vegetables keep coming every couple of seasons. There, Every couple of months, there's another thing in season. And it's like, I'm trying to think if I should get into talking about the Brussels sprout stalks, which I've discovered are edible if you put them in the pressure cooker. And they're not just edible, but ex- extraordinarily delicious. And who expected Brussels sprout stalks to be delicious? Yeah, not at all. I mean, it takes... A decent amount for me to make Brussels sprouts delicious. Brussels sprouts and spinach always trick me in that I always, they look so wonderful. And every time that I cook, I'm excited about the end result. I never, I never enjoy them as much as I expect to. Yeah. Most Brussels sprouts, people glaze them with a lot of sugar or they'll use maple syrup and sugar and spinach. Spinach people usually if they just have it on its own, they'll fry it up with garlic and onions, which can be pretty good. Uh, I mean, I put them in my stews and the Brussels sprouts. I also, I eat Brussels sprouts just on their own, like raw. 
because when you bite into them, if you pay attention, there's they're way juicier than you think. And the juice, like it goes all throughout your mouth. It's dry too. So it's a kind of weird thing, but I like that. Yeah. I'm like, these are my crayons. Like I've got some crayons here that I'm like, what's that? Exactly. <laughs> and like reading on the side, it's going to say something like cerulean blue. And you're like, what the, yeah. that, what is that? <laughs> you have to look it up or they'll have some weird mix of things, but it's, I'm curious. I, the emotional side of it for you, I think Anne started answering it, but did you answer it too? I mean, you talked about the Emotional side for what? For the experience with, the, with, with your wife and kids of doing this. I mean, you said it wasn't that you didn't have the same passion that they did, perhaps because you didn't see the movie. But what were the crayons? I mean, there was obligations, kind of getting lighter blue, but what could you, could you say more? Yeah, that was it. I mean, there was not much, I did not get much else out of that. Yeah, I wish I could have. I guess the one other piece that I got, and I've already, I've always hated plastic, like single use plastic water bottles, especially the small ones, because uh, they're, for me, it's a pain in the butt because they're always all over the place and they are hard to dispose of. And I'd say my hatred for those got worse with the volume that you see on the beach. So I guess I I deepened my hatred of plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to use my very heavily used crayon of black, which is uh, hatred and dislike. Yeah. <laughs> that a lot. Well, no, I mean, that doesn't, that would color me in the wrong light. I, I am not a bunch of hate. I'd say anger. I have black is anger. And I had a lot of that when I used a whole lot. Uh, so yeah, it was more anger than hatred. I get angry and uh, would get angry at seeing all of that and the uselessness of it and the waste. And having to use it, like when they got in times where like, oh, I had to use, use those bottles ever since, I still get angry. Well, I appreciate your openness because I, I, I can't help but calling out that if I talk to you about behavior or psychology or leadership, you really, I think you described yourself as very analytical, very, and you've thought things through very methodically. And here you're, you're like, you're not struggling, but maybe struggling, but like trying to figure something out. And actually, I wouldn't be surprised if in a year you have many, many, many crayons and it becomes part of what you, part of your craft, part of your art. And I know one of, you know, one of the things, and I don't know if this came before or after conversation with you, I couldn't, I can't place it, but I know I tend to think it came after is one of the things that for me, it was all, it was a leadership lesson that I heard once. And I couldn't place where it was, but I know it was a long time ago. Was this conversation? It was this concept of there was a company, and as people parked in the parking lot, went in the front door, there was a piece of trash, you know, by the front door, and all the employees came in, parked, stepped over the piece of trash, and their way into work. And then the the CEO came in and parked it, parked and walked in, saw the trash, picked it up and, you know, brought it in, threw it away. And this concept of, and the lesson was, you know, why is the CEO the only one that has the ownership to see that this trash is, you know, is not good for the image of the company? I had to forget the larger lesson that they were getting after with it and that, that all these people stepped over it. It took energy to step over the piece of trash Mm -hmm. and to ignore it. And what I took from it is this concept of anytime you step over a piece of trash, it's still there. 
Like it's, yeah. and some of it's still going to take some energy and it took energy to get over it. And I looked at it more of as I'm doing my work and my job, there's, I come across things that aren't, aren't the way they need to be. And I'm not by, I'm not, um, what do you call it? People that have to have certain things, certain ways. OCD. Um, OCD. I, I don't have OCD. I'm, I don't have that challenge, but I do have, especially when it came to seal stuff, like it was life-saving stuff. So, you know, I have attention to detail. And so there are often times where I get across and I'm like, oh, that is obviously not right, but people step over it, right? Like, yeah, oh, maybe I'll yeah. get to it later or something else. And like, I don't. For me, it's like, if you run across the trash, like pick it up. And so that, that stuck with me and it stuck with me in business a lot. And, and, and what, how at least I will go through my day and what I try to create for my team, my employees. And within that same thing, I remember bringing that to the boys and the effort to teach them was the same thing. If we're out on a hike or if we're out walking or we see garbage to pick it up, because it was an easy way to start teaching that message early on. And so, like I said, I can't remember if... I believe this came beforehand because I remember often the boys pointing out garbage and, you know, okay, pick, let we pick it up and we'll throw it away and we're done. But I know that's become part of our regular occurrence as we, as we go through the world of identifying and, and not taking energy to step over something that someone else is going to, it's still going to be there even when you step over it. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Yeah, one of my guests, I don't know if you know John Lee Dumas. He, actually, he lives in Puerto Rico. Yeah, we we were just in Puerto Rico with a sailboat. We got to see his uh, one of our other friends that we were there has uh, met him a number of times. We drove past his house. Oh, cool! Yeah, so he for the year of I think it was 2018, he went to the beach with a bag once a month and would pick up garbage. And when his family came to visit, they did it as a family thing, and his neighbors would do it. And one time he was walking home, and he's like, "There's a whole thing of rebar on the street, not on the beach." And he was like this rebar is garbage. It doesn't belong here. So I carried it like a mile. Mm -hmm. And that inspired me to start something that I had been thinking about doing, which is plogging, which I don't know if you've heard this term. No. So this it's from the Swedish plog, meaning pick up. So it's to pick up garbage while you jog. And I've been like, oh, maybe I'll do it. Maybe not. Because in New York, you could, you might not get a block. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you needed a backpack and a trailer. But he was, he was enjoying it so much that he like inspired me back. So I was like, yeah, how, how am I going to do this? And so actually it took a couple of times to, uh, to get the, you got to set up rule. I had to set up rules to make it work. Mm -hmm. So one rule is it's, it's got to be on my path. If I can go out of my way to pick something up, but I don't have to. Things, cigarette butts are smaller, just too many. I'm not going to pick them up. Things in water or absorbent things like napkins, I'm not going to pick up. And if I can't see a trash can, I don't carry a bag with me. I just pick it up and put it in a trash can. Got it. So- and what happened is the first or second time I did it. I, I, by the way, I've been on TV now. The, the news people have been like, hey, we're doing a store plugging. We read your thing. We'd be on TV. So I've been on TV twice. And so I run down 10th Street 
or Christopher Street. And uh, that's where you can get across the highway to the west side to run along the river. And along the river, there's much less trash, although there always is some. But on Christopher Street, there's always a lot. So I'm running along. And as I go down, I pick up a bunch. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the first or second time. I'm like, what difference does it make? Like, this is so much garbage. I, it's especially if I run on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning, because Christopher Street, there's a lot of partying the night before. So I run down, pick up some garbage, run along the river, come back up. And I come back up the same path I went down because there's a little bike path on Christopher Street. And I'm running the bike path. And as I'm running along, I look to my right in the street and there's a lot of garbage. And I look on my left on the sidewalk, there's a lot of garbage. But in the bike path, there's not. And it's because I picked it up. Oh, wow. And it felt like the Red Sea, but I had done it. And that changed my feeling. I, I've not jogged since. I've only plugged since. And it's just each time I think, you know, it'd be nice to just go for a run. It's a kind of a pain, except now I think it's like I'm doing squats in the middle of, or lunges in the middle. Why not? You know, and I haven't had like the long straight run, but I'd like it. It's, um, I mean, I prefer not to live in this world, uh, to live in a world this way. Yeah. But if it is this way, I'm not going to feel guilty about other people having created this way, but I'm not going to leave it. And I feel better about picking this stuff up. It has not yet happened. Here's, here's a little petty thing. Not petty. I don't want to call attention to myself, but I want people to see me and ask. Right. I try to throw it away like in front of people in an ostentatious way that doesn't look ostentatious, but it hasn't worked yet. No one's been like, hey, that's cool what you're doing. Yeah, you are in New York, so that's a unique city. Yeah, there's, you could do a lot and no one will notice. Exactly. I want to keep asking stuff, but I, I want to wrap it up. Well, let me ask, is there anything you want to say directly to the listeners or anything I didn't think to bring up? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, at the beginning, I was talking about this journey we've been on, right? This entrepreneurial journey we've been on and and having some, being able to get to a good place, right? And what I was intending for that was the fact that there are no overnight successes, right? That's not that doesn't happen. I mean, there's amazing amounts of work that goes into producing success. Uh, the other thing is that being able to maintain focus, right? Our world really started to shift when we started focusing on only producing a business that supports the lifestyle we want, as opposed to having uh, our lifestyle dictated by our business, right? That shift was a, a massive shift for us. And then uh, this last piece of it, it's taken a long time to get to the point of, yes, having uh, success in business and, and impact with clients, but also finding the best spot for you. It's been cool for me to get clear in that. So we just ran a, a big an event for some CEO, uh, would be CEOs as well as executive, mostly executives and small being under $50 million a year companies. Uh, but it was a really cool combination of being able to do some uh, deep teaching, right? Learning on a, on a deep scale with people, uh, which was really fulfilling for me as opposed to on a, what is on a more just mental level, right? Being able to teach them and change them both uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally all at the same time through a structure of the event. Uh, being able to use unique aspects are unique tools. So we leveraged all the tools. Like, uh, for an icebreaker, the first day we had a bunch of people that have never met each other. I used uh, knife fighting mm -hmm. as a means to teach <laughs> feedback. 
So oh. the, the theme for the, the training was around giving and receiving feedback. And so used knife fighting as a means for them to experience that physically, you, uh, which was... Is it okay that I'm laughing? Because it is kind of funny, like... Oh, yeah. These people haven't met. Let's get them in a knife fight together. That's it. And, and that was the point, right? So okay. a shock to the system. And then the coolest part is being able to leverage this tool in a way that enabled them to learn, right? So, you know, feedback, when you think of it as a dance between two people, one giving, one receiving and, and back and then turning that around, giver becomes the receiver and the, the receiver becomes the giver, right? That's the essence of feedback. And that's what a knife fight is. Right, it's a dance between two people of of uh, giving attacks and receiving attacks, and then switching. So, being able to to tie that together is really cool. And uh, so, we did that. We did a service project uh, where the teams had to go out into the community. They had two and a half hours to create the biggest impact they could uh, in Miami. We did uh, some just good learning and tools. Uh, we chartered sailboats. So they had uh, two racing yachts where they got to work as a team on these, these boats. So this full gamut of deep learning experiences, right. And really adventures is the way I like to look at it. And the other piece is curated in that it was important to me that the people that we invited were the right people. One that I wanted to interact with them on an intimate basis and that they were going to interact well together and support each other. So that combination of that, that event was really, for me, finally being able to embody what I've always wanted to do. And in building all of these companies, these training opportunities, and even doing the lower, the less, it's not so lower tier, but the less uh, contact, right? So digital courses and the, the live virtual courses and the, the workshops leading to these kind of pinnacle type experiences are necessary to be able to produce that. It was really cool for me, really cool to be able to do that and uh, be able to see the response of the change in the individuals, the amazing tools they're going to bring back, but then their, their eagerness to do the next stuff. So we're planning our next one where we're going to leverage uh, Southern Utah, uh, Moab, and, and kind of overlanding as a, as a base of the experience. We're calling them expeditions where uh, you would that's going to offer an experience that people have never had before and always wanted while being able to give them access to information and education that they, they'd never have access to and be able to tie it together in a coordinated format. So can listeners access this? Yeah, to uh, totally. And that was part of the reason I brought it up is I'm so excited about it, being able to have the opportunity for others to see it. We're going to run them uh, quarterly and follow the SEAL acronym. So SEAL stands for C Air and land. Uh, and so we're going to do them quarterly where we have a sea adventure, an air adventure, a land adventure, and, and then a military or a SEAL type adventure for the fourth, the fourth quarter. And how would they find out the details? I'll send you, there's a SEAL team leaders bootcamp is a website they could go to. And as we send up, as we create other sites, I'll make sure to send them to you. But that one, uh, sealteamleadersbootcamp.com is going to be, uh, that site's still up and running. They can get basic information there. Okay, if they so have they any can... interest to talk to us, I would love to. Uh, it's for uh, mid, uh, what would be uh, CEOs or executives uh, in companies under uh, 500 million a year and over uh, two to three million a year. Uh, is kind of that key piece. Some things that stick on my mind since last time, 
many things. One, I think, I forget if it was before we started hitting record or not, but you know, I've been doing burpees since long before I met you. But now I keep thinking, like, especially, what was happening the other day? Something happened, and it was, like, really brutal to do them. And, of course, I'm going to do them, but now I'm thinking about putting money in the piggy bank. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. I sort of refined that. So the, uh, just to catch people up, the basic concept is that uh, self-regulation, the ability to self-regulate is our, our best tool to be able to coordinate action with others. Our ability to coordinate action with others determines our success in life. So the more you have the ability to self-regulate, the better you're going to, the more value you'll be able to create, the better you'll be able to interact with others. And uh, this concept of self-regulation, I like to think of as a piggy bank. So the same two parts of our brain control all of it. So the more that we practice it, the better we get at self-regulation mentally, physically, and emotionally. So we talked about a piggy bank and it being full or empty. And what I let, what I've realized is that anytime that we push our limits of self-regulation, what we're doing is increasing the size of our bank, right? So we start off with little tiny piggy banks, meaning we have very little self-regulation. As we, as we push and regulate and train, we increase the size. And then the money in the bank is, say, mental, physical, and emotional self-regulation takes money out. So anytime that I have to do, I've done 10 burpees, I want to do 11, my body says no, and I say yes, I take out a dollar, right? Anytime that someone says something, I want to yell at them and I restrict myself from yelling at them emotionally, that's taking out a dollar. Mentally, anytime that I'm trying to focus on a problem and I have a lot of distraction, I'm taking out a dollar, right? I'm using the money of self-regulation to regulate in these ways. So the more rested I am, the more that I've done my meditation, I've done my exercise, I've fueled my body, I've, I feel connected and supported. That's what puts money in the bank. And the size of your bank is determined by how well you self-regulate. So if you say do a bunch of burpees, you're going to have depleted your bank, but you'll have made it a little bigger. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm also translating it into like any skill, the more you practice it, the more, the, the more skilled you are. And yep, the more neural connections, when we grow our bank, we're just creating more neural connections in the, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the anterior cruciate cortex, which are those two parts of the brain that. So it's like a skill. It's yeah, it is. It's no different than throwing a baseball. The more you practice quitting, better you will. Yeah. You know, you literally create neural pathways that make you more efficient at quitting. And we've all seen this, right? It has less emotional impact on us. Like, oh, which now I can just quit really easy. Like you literally can become skilled at quitting, skilled at not being, at flying off the handle emotionally, skilled at being lazy and vice versa. You can become skilled at emotional, physical, and mental self-regulation. I'm also thinking about what you described about where you've gotten with your wife and or with this project together with her. And it reminds me of a pattern that I've seen that the bigger an achievement, for little achievements, people are like, oh, great. I'm really glad I did that. The bigger an achievement, the more it is just the beginning. The way I always say this, if you run to catch a bus, like you run a couple of yards to catch a bus, you get on, you're like, oh, good, I caught the bus. If you finish a marathon, you're like, now I'm beginning the life of someone who's run a marathon. And I feel like when you achieve something that you started 13 years ago, the pattern tells me that you are now just beginning what now that you have this mastery, if I'm, if I'm saying it right, now you are going to start what you've really been meaning to do all the time. 
And I, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm really curious. I, I completely agree with you. And I think it's important. I know for us, it's been important to put miles, not, not even milestones, but like I would call them a waypoint on a, a journey of stopping and looking and reassessing because it's easy to get stuck on a train that goes one direction. And so we did that. Like we, over the last three years, as we've completely changed our business every year, we reassess, okay, where we are and what are we doing next year? And and are we on the right path? It's the samurai walk. Yeah. Same thing here of, okay, we got to a new point. Now we're reassessing our desired end state. Where do we want to go? Are we on the right course of action? Is there another course of action we better? What problems did contingencies did we run into last time that we can mitigate this time? Do we have the right team around this? What skill sets do we need to increase? Right, all of these core concepts of uh, are necessary. And the biggest one that I, I went over quick, but I want to make sure we don't gloss over is like, are we still on the right course of action? Right, mm-hmm. and this is I think very important finance with financial goals. Right, if you just have a financial goal of more, like you're never going to win. You're always going to be not fulfilled, and you're always going to have stress. Whereas if you say, when I have X amount capital at work, I have X amount in the bank and savings, I have X cash flow, I get to reset and say, okay, this is now the norm. What do I want to do? Do I want to increase that, decrease that? Are we good? Can I put my attention somewhere else? Or else you can get on this hamster wheel of more. This is what, I don't know if you realized how you just touched on like on a society global level, the growth has solved a lot of problems for the past several hundred years. Yep. Population growth, economic growth, and it had these little things on the side of like overproduction and uh, waste, yep. but we could always move away from the waste and we could always kind of cover it up and the overproduction, well, it became waste, but that these little things, now that we've populated the whole planet, there is no more away anymore. Yep. And on a society level, this is our big challenge. I think this is, there's a couple things, but I mean, one of the goals of this podcast of me, this podcast being one of my tools is to change the cultural value of growth, unquestioned growth. And, and saying to me that now, when I started my first company, I was like, we want to grow. I want to grow. I want to grow. I didn't really think about this environmental stuff. But now I look at that and I feel growth to me from the system that I'm in now looks like craving, looks like never satisfied. Yeah. And lack of fulfillment. Yeah. Struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Fulfillment. And that connects with food too. Like Twinkies are not fulfilling. You can just eat more and more and more and more of them. Spinach is like really fulfilling. It's like I eat some and I'm like, I'm full. No, oh, that's like fat heavy. That's why I like foods heavy and fat. Like I can only eat so many pork rinds. I can only eat like four or five and then I'm full because it's heavy and fat. I can only, you can only eat much, so much avocado because it's mm-hmm. heavy and fat. But empty calories of potato chips, you can eat up or M&Ms. Like you can eat an entire bag and drink a 12 pack of beer. And, and so never feel that, full. Yeah, I hope that I presume we'll keep in touch in some way. And I, I'll be curious to hear if what you're talking about now is something that can work on a cultural level or something. How can we get people to realize, like, to enjoy enough? Purpose. It, it all comes back to purpose. If I don't have a purpose and the world tells me my purpose. So say I don't have a, a clear revenue goal. That's a purpose, right? I'm saying my clear revenue goes this. Now, really, the purpose is what does that revenue produce for me, right? So the purpose is beyond, say, a number. It's what does that number produce? 
right? That's the real reason I produce a number, but let's just keep it simple, right? So a certain number that if I don't have that number and the world tells me, well, the Joneses next door got a new boat, that means I need more so I can have the boat. The world's telling me what I need to do or I need more because they're going to give me new advertising that I have to buy new stuff. I need a bigger house, right? That's more, more, more. I'm letting the world give me my purpose. When the world gives me my purpose, I can't feel fulfilled because I can't make progress to more, right? I can never close the gap to more. But when I have a set objective or set desired end state, I can measure where I am to where, where that is, and I can feel fulfilled when I make progress. So we have now a nation, let's just take the US, of, I'd say, I would guess, pulling a number out of my head, but just looking around, that something like 300 million Americans in place of purpose, they have an idea that if they buy something, then it will make them feel fulfilled. And they just keep- That's the world. The world gives it. The TV gives it to them. Here's your purpose. Get a new phone. So to give those 300 million people purpose is- Well, that's what you're doing, right? That's that's how you changed your life. And to get to 300 million, that's the- Now, this is the key part, right? Why the hell don't people know- how to do this? Well, we haven't been taught. Why? Because our education system is based off of the industrial revolution, which is to make factory workers. You don't want factory workers to have be able to identify and create purpose for themselves or they wouldn't be a factory worker. So our school system is 100% flawed in being able to teach us how to create purpose in our lives and clarify it. It's not taught. Yeah. That has to be taught. And so, which by the way, I heard you talk about Montessori in, in I think, with Dan McPherson. And I'm going to send you some links, if you don't mind, about a, a previous guest of mine, Peter Gray, who uh, actually the post that I have is a, link, a bunch of links to his stuff and other stuff. And I think it's called mind-blowing stuff about education that I, I thought I knew a lot about education. And Montessori has been something important to me, along with John Dewey. And, and then like this is at a whole other level. And I think you'll really like it. Yeah, we're, we're told, and we're totally in that conversation in that you know, our oldest is now getting to the point of we got to figure out what to do next, right? It's he's starting to be, you know, he's he's going to be six, and so we got to start thinking about. And this is when traditional education takes over, and I think this is when we give up all our freedom. As soon as he gets into a normal school, a normal school system, all my freedom goes away, or at least a lot of it. You know, what he gets taught, how he gets taught, who he gets taught, who he gets taught with when I can go on vacation, when I can take him out of school, when I can't take him out of school, what activities he can be in or can't be in, what experiences he can have or not have, all of that gets taken away when I subscribe to a normal school system. And it's, so we're in that conversation, well, what do we do about that? And I don't want to give up all of my or his freedom in this. This might be, Peter Gray's book may be one of the most uh, valuable things you read. I don't have a, a child, so I, I I don't know what it's like to read it as a parent. And I've been teaching, I've been teaching for decades before I came across this way of teaching. I teach university level, which is slightly different than K to 12. Yep. But I mean, you'll, you'll hear about Sudbury Valley School, which has, it's no classes. Everyone's free to do whatever they want. When they make decisions, a five-year-old has an equal vote as the founder of the school. Yeah, we, we've been exploring. There's a school here uh, in South Florida that is set up the same way. And that we were, we just toured it the other day and we're really happy, you know, really excited about that. But in the same respect that that ties me to a specific location. So now I'm stuck here and I'm stuck here for certain amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And that that's where the only sticking point I have 
of of how do we navigate that and they're they're the most flexible i've seen in a school system of giving you time like well yeah if you don't want to be here for 3 months we'll figure out how to make that happen so i think that's that's the key yeah, there's a guest that i had on actually i think i just posted it the other day and Casper Craven, I don't know if you've come across him. He's like a leadership guy too. And one day he took, he and his wife took their kids out of school and they went around those, they sailed around the world for, I think a year, two years. Yep. And they just took the kids out of school. And I think the kids are, are freer, stronger, more educated for it. Yeah. That's all the stories you hear, especially because usually the parents, well, parents that do that intention with intention are going to care right and develop it and so we're we're exploring ultimately because both of us are strongly involved in the business too so we have to figure out how do we navigate building and running a company while also navigating homeschooling and care and travel and so that's where i think we're about a year from being because our again purpose right so our purpose is to design a business and a life where we put 35 hours a week towards work, mm-hmm. leaving us 15 hours a week each towards schooling. Uh, so we can homeschool slash some other type of schooling with the kids. And, you know, within that homeschooling is a full-time job in and of itself from what I could tell for at least one parent. So then we'll have to figure out, okay, so it will be a mix of tutoring, homeschooling, education management, online education, and and, but within that, we have to create the environment where we have that time. So I want, I want to keep this conversation going, but I also want to wrap up because for listeners, if it goes over an hour, then sometimes they won't download. I, I guess to wrap it up, purpose has doing this environmental challenge, task, commitment, has it connected to you, to your purpose? How do they relate? Yeah, I would say no, until we came across that connection of step, you know, a big part of my purpose is not stepping over pieces of trash in my business or in my organization and creating, helping others create organizations where their team members don't do that, right? Don't step over garbage. And I never connect, I didn't connect the dots until now. Or like, oh yeah, stepping over garbage on the beach is the same as stepping over garbage in my organization or uh, having a team member step over quote unquote garbage in uh, form they fill out or a email they send out. So uh, I would say, yeah, we just connected the dots on that. Well, glad I can to hear. look at that as a systemic, as as a practice, right? I get to practice that in the real world as well as in the world of business. Yeah, I think that's available to anyone who acts on environmental things. I think they'll find something similar. I mean, it resonates with me that. Yeah, I want to wrap that. Up. I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to leave an open invitation for you to come back and share if this has come on in other ways. And uh, thank you very much, Larry. And please pass on the thanks to your to, yeah, to well, Anne and to your sons. My pleasure, as usual. Love, love talking to you. I suggested at the beginning of this episode to watch out for how acting on your environmental values can improve your relationships with your family and self. I hope you saw that in Larry and Anne. Since it reaches to deep values, acting environmentally, it gives you the ability to connect with people. Can you tell how much I'm enjoying this growing, dare I say, friendship with Larry? Talking about kids, education, and so on. Deep, meaningful access to people is available to anyone through the environment. Most people don't talk about it, or it's guilt and shame, so they avoid it. But the access could come through the environment and family relations, or the environment through religion, or in my case, food was the big thing. Also, fitness and exercise, or it could be camping, hiking, 
and so on. That access to connect with people through the environment is all there, just not through ignoring our effect on the environment or on dwelling on shame, guilt, or fear. I recommend if you want to connect with people through the environment, start by asking people their values about the environment, what the environment means to them, as I do, and simply ask supporting questions, not talking over them, but just hearing what they have to say. I think they'll like sharing with you, and I think that it will help create connections. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.